Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Good morning. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We finish Acts chapter 2 this morning. So that's verses 42 to 47. We look at this reality that the converted life is a devoted life. Here's all that we mean by that as we look to unpack that this morning. Is in Acts chapter 2, what we see is that there was this mass conversion of people, meaning people who did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, that Jesus was the Son of God who came to die for sin literally died on a cross, was dead for three days, and literally rose again from the dead. They were not convinced of that. They did not believe that. And then at the preaching of Peter and the coming of the Holy Spirit, they changed. They were converted. They were no longer an unbeliever, but they were a believer. These were people who were devout Jews from all over the world, And as they came and God performed this miraculous sign that people who did not speak their language were suddenly and miraculously able to speak their language, proclaimed that good news to them that Jesus was the Messiah they were waiting for, the anointed one, the Christ. And they changed their belief. They changed how they felt about God and themselves. And they then asked, what shall we do? And they repented of their sins and they were baptized. They were converted And then Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47 kind of summarizes what happens. And we get to see what does a converted life look like. A converted life is a devoted life. So there's three things that we want to see this morning. That the converted life is devoted to the things of God, devoted to the people of God, and you're devoted with glad and generous hearts. So devoted to the things of God, the people of God, and with glad and generous hearts. Let's look at Acts 2, picking up in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we're going to see in these first couple verses that these people were devoted to the things of God. Three things in particular. To the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, which I think then gets explained a little more in the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. So to teaching, fellowship, and prayers. What we see is in the midst of really something really extraordinary, speaking in languages that you do not know, the Holy Spirit falling and tongues of flame on all these people, massive conversion, 3,000 people changing their minds about who they believe Jesus to be. Extraordinary things that they then became devoted to really ordinary things, things that Christians for thousands of years have been devoted to. Ordinary things like the teaching of the apostles, which we've talked about in the past, is really what we see is the New Testament. Things like the fellowship together, to gather with one another, and things like praying. That's what they became devoted to on a regular and continual kind of basis. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, or the life of Jesus. They were taught things like the Trinity, that God is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were taught things like ordinances, that they were to repent and be baptized, and then they practiced the Lord's Supper. They're taught to gather together, to encourage one another. They're taught how to pray, basics of theology. They're taught to be bold witnesses. They're devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And it was everyone, not just all-star Christians, not just pastors or teachers who were interested in theology. No, no, no. It was everyone who was converted were coming together and they were devoted to the teaching of these apostles about the life of Jesus and what it looks like to live like him and for him. They're devoted to fellowshipping with one another and that tangibly expressed itself and that they shared meals together. There's just a reality of sharing a meal. It's intimate and it's close. It takes time of the host to prepare. You consider dietary needs and restrictions of other people. It considers you to take from yours and give to others. And they broke bread. Later in the passage, we'll see that they did this day by day. In 1 John 4, 7 through 12, it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or made known among us. The God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the atonement or the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. But John, who was one of these people, he was there when this happened. What he's trying to teach us in that passage is that we manifest the love of God when we love one another. That our love for one another does not spur on or come from a place of someone else's love for me, but rather we love other people because God first loved us. It's the very basics of the gospel that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And because that is true, we love one another. 
So these converted people were convinced that that's what Jesus' death meant. Therefore, they loved each other. They devoted themselves to fellowship and the breaking of bread together. They devoted themselves to prayers. They are praying people in the book of Acts. In Acts 1 and 2, we see that when they're gathered together, that they are praying. They are praying when they decide to choose a new apostle. They're praying when the Holy Spirit comes. Throughout the book of Acts, they will keep praying. They'll be persecuted and they pray. Things will go well and they pray and praise God. It happens over and over and over again through the rest of this book. God's people are praying people. And their devotion in all of these things is continuous. It doesn't just say they devoted themselves for like a week to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves for a period of time to praying. They just for a little bit, but no, this was what their life looked like. They continued to pray. Reminded from Jesus in Luke 18, verses one through eight. Jesus tells them, and he, talk about Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but after he had accepted himself, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is saying if a widow who knows she's going to a wicked judge, just wears him down with her persistence, how much more so should sons and daughters who are loved by God, who is not a wicked judge, but a good and righteous judge, continually go to the Father and make our request known to him. We are to be a praying people. It should be something that sets us apart and finds us. At many churches... If we set aside a prayer service, it's usually very poorly attended. It's usually one of the smallest things attended by many. Prayer is often something that even in my own life, Leland is always good at reminding me about this, when he and I meet together, I'll forget to pray. I want to get to the meat of it. I'm fine with the apostles' teaching, studying the Bible, and I love to fellowship. Anybody who knows me knows that is true. But prayer becomes a personal struggle it feels intangible. What does it look like to be continually devoted to this thing? But it is so very, very important. This past Christmas Eve, we had a Christmas Eve service at Paramount Church where Brittany and I uh, attended and were sent out from our church. That is our sending church. We attended there for eight years and for those of you who know our story and know what, we, what happened in our time there, we were not able to have kids for a really long time. And they had a monthly Sunday night prayer gathering and we requested and had our names placed on that list. And so once a month, the people of Paramount Church would come and we would attend this worship service 
a lot of times to, against my own desires of wanting to sit at home, watch Sunday night football during the fall, uh, just not have to put real pants back on. After all, I'm in my sweatpants and I just want to go. I don't want to have to do that. But we would go and I was always thankful that I went. And we prayed and we would ask God to give us children. Well, at the Christmas Eve service, there was no child care. And Brittany played violin. So I handed off Vera to someone else and I had two unruly little boys running around in my seat, trying the best I could to headlock them and knee lock them or whatever I could to keep them there. And as I sat in that building, I looked up and looked around the building and it was a nostalgic moment. And I remembered what it was like to sit on Sunday evenings in that building with my arms empty. I wasn't wrangling kids. I was wrangling my hands and wringing them together, asking God to bless me and my wife with children. It was an amazing moment to sit there and remember that God answers prayer. See, here's the thing about prayer and why it's so important that we are devoted to it because prayer is a declaration that God is real. The tangible things like reading the Bible or getting some good advice from a friend or whatever it might look like in your life, it can look so much like what the rest of the world does and whatever philosophy or, or self-help kind of recommendation you might get. But praying, praying requires you to actually believe that someone hears you. And I want you to know he does. God hears your prayers. So parents, when you feel like, what is the point of this discipline or trying to get through to my kids, they don't listen to everything I do, pray because God hears you and he changes little hearts. Members of our church, when sin plagues you and you just feel like, why, why can I not stop? Why does this keep happening over and over again? pray and ask God for help. It's not some kind of psychological exercise. It's not a time of meditation. God hears you and he changes big hearts too. In prayer, we are comforted, we're encouraged, we're emboldened, we are made wise. We're drawn near to the God who hears us when we pray. The last thing I want to do in a sermon like this is say, hey, be devoted to the things of God, check off the list, and now you're a good and happy Christian. Go do it. What I want to say is these people did this because they were converted. They did this because something supernatural happened within them. They changed. They became convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to prayer because they really believed all of this. And the gospel radically changed their life. Your devotion isn't a checklist of just try to get through the Bible in a year. It's not make sure that I prayed so I feel like I'm good. And if I don't pray, and if I don't say my prayers, now I have to have a bad day because I messed up but rather that you would see that God knows you and God loves you. And so you gather together even when you don't feel like it. You read your Bible even when it doesn't feel super great. 
you trudge through the book of Leviticus like those of us who are trying to read through the Bible of a year are doing now, and you say, I don't know why blood has to get put up people's ears. That's weird. But you keep going because God loves you and you love him. And you keep praying and talking to him and, and begging God to do this. And you take seriously these moments where people come and they stand at this microphone and they pray for people all over the world and people in our community and people in your life. And, and you pray and you beg God to move because you know that he's there and he hears you. See, the gospel is what changes us and that's why we're devoted. We don't get devoted to make God happy. We're devoted because in Christ, God is pleased with us. And we want to be happy by being happy in Jesus. Being devoted to the things of God will then ultimately lead lead to being devoted to the people of God. Looking at the next few verses there, verse 44 says this, and all came, or excuse me, that's 43, and all who, were, who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to proceeds to all as any had need. Now, this is not some kind of call to communism. This is not a call. All of you sell all your stuff. Give me all the money. I'll make sure I distribute it out really, really well. No, I think they all had their own possessions. They all made the decision to then sell those possessions. We'll even see later that some people even lied about that and God finds them out in just a few chapters with Ananias and Sapphira, that they did own these things and that things weren't just like in a common pot given to everybody, but rather as people would sell things, they would then distribute that money appropriately to those who had need. But what an amazing thing to say. I am so willing to care for my brothers and sisters in Christ that I will sell my stuff before I let them go without. I think for most of us, particularly in the American context, we're happy to give so long as the money's there. Sure, I'll give a little extra or maybe just forego. Maybe I'm also just happy to give as long as it just means like, I'll forego something this week that I wouldn't have bought otherwise. Like I'll buy less Starbucks coffee this week and switch to Folgers so I can give a little to this person. But but these people are so in love with one another because of the love that God has for them that when they see the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ, they say, man, this thing over here that I like, that has value, like I can sell it. I don't need it anymore. I'm more happy to sell my stuff and care for a brother or sister in need, they am to have stuff. <laughs> That's devotion. That's incredible. If we go back to 1 John, this time in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, he explains it like this. He says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Again, what I'm trying to show you is that this doesn't come from just like righteousness built up in yourself or trying really hard or, all right, I heard the sermon on devotion. I'm gonna go be more devoted now. I'm gonna sell my stuff. It comes from an understanding that Jesus loved me so much that he laid down his life for me. So I'm happy. I want to lay down my life for the sake of other people. 
Christians die metaphorical deaths over and over and over again because in doing it, you walk in the footsteps of Jesus who literally died. And these apostles will later do that. Most of them die for their faith. When they see the needs of other people, they're willing to lay down the things they have. Christian generosity, particularly among the household of God, those who are other Christians, is not tit for tat, meaning give a little, take a little. It's not a, well, I don't have to give if they don't give to me. They didn't show up to my birthday, so I'm not telling them happy birthday. (laughs) Or even if I don't have to receive then I don't have to give. And what I mean by that is this, sometimes because we don't want to give, we just kind of say, no, 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 that's fine. You don't have to give anything to me because then I'll feel obligated to give to you when it's my turn. And so let's just cut the middleman out. You don't give to me. I'll remove myself however I can. And then that way I'm not obligated to give to you. Christian giving is not determined by the score being kept between rivals determined and it's modeled by the love of the Father and it's to be shared among siblings. Christian giving and generosity comes not from our relationship necessarily to one another as much as it first comes from our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He gave everything for me and laid down his life for me. So how can I, seeing my brother does not have the world's goods, let them go without and close off my heart to them. I can't because he laid down everything for me. I want to lay down things for them. That's the way this works. It cannot be a keeping of score, a keeping of records. It's open hands. I think oftentimes what keeps us from being generous is our own pride. Because at the heart of, well, I'm not giving to them because they didn't give to me, or don't they see how much I'm doing? That kind of demanding spirit that comes from us of like, like, yeah, I read the end of Acts chapter two. I want that. I wish someone else would love me that way. When we look at the world and even the church as something to serve us, it's because somehow we have elevated ourselves as if like, I'm doing all the good stuff. Why doesn't someone come alongside and, and do that good stuff for me? But Paul in Philippians 2 says, verse 1 says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, if any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, which are all rhetorical questions that the answer is like, duh, yes. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Of course there is. Any comfort in being loved? Yeah. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This kind of unity that he's trying to get the Philippian church to do that they were experiencing here, at least in this moment in the church of Jerusalem, we have 26 more chapters of Acts. It doesn't last the whole time. They have issues and conflict. But he's saying, this is what you have to do. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. If we want to have an Acts 2 kind of church, it has to be made up of individuals who don't look out for their own interest and say, well, why isn't anybody caring about me? It has to be made up of individuals who say, how can I care for my brother and sister in Christ? 
what does it look like for me to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and lay down my life for other people? See, we give because we love each other, but we love because God first loved us. That's how the gospel radically changes generosity and what it looks like to give. We give not out of some kind of scorekeeping, but rather we give because God loved us and the gospel changes us. So will you give to your brothers and sisters? Will you see people around you who are struggling and hurting and give the ways that you can? Now, maybe it's not a ton of physical goods in our life and culture, but Will you give of your network and of your reputation to help other people when they're maybe looking for a job or a new opportunity? Will you give knowledge of a particular life situation? Will you give of your open your home to have people come in? And will you do it gladly? Our final thing this morning that we want to look at is this, that we are devoted with glad and generous hearts picking up in verse 45, he says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to any as need. And then he says this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. That word there for attending, attending the temple, is actually the same exact word that gets translated earlier as devoting themselves. They're one and the same. And I think what Luke is trying to show us is that they're continually doing these things over and over and over again. So they're continually going, devoting themselves to teaching, fellowship, and prayer, and they're continually going to the temple, the Jewish temple. Now, in some ways, it's because they were Jews. I don't think they came out of the situation and felt like, they were no longer Jewish. They were Jewish. So where are you going to go to worship God? Temple. I think they also went to the temple as a way to proclaim to the boldness of the resurrection of Christ. There were people going to the temple, other Jews, who were not Christians. And so they went. And so evangelism and worship were a regular part of their life. They were devoted to it. They were continually going to that temple. And then, as if that wasn't enough, day by day, they would go to each other's homes. And they would break bread. They would make meals together. And when they would do that, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And again, I think it's just such an interesting thing that in all this like amazing stuff that we see happening in this early book, Luke is like, and then they went and ate and were happy. Like this normal stuff. Who isn't happy when they're eating? I get too happy when I'm eating. (laughs) But that's what they did. They received their food, this food that was coming, sometimes as a result of selling away possessions so they could feed their brother and sister in Christ. They received that with a glad, generous heart, praising God. Christians were happy people. (laughs) Christians are to be happy people. I think very often we look at things like devotion and we treat it like wind sprints. Memorizing the periodic table Spreadsheets or cleaning the house. Some of you, you like some of those things. You're crazy. Just pick one of the ones you don't like. And that's what we see. Like reading my Bible is like running hard and it's like just like the means to an end. I do that so I can really go hard in the fourth quarter because playing the game is the fun part. 
the practice is the lame part, but I don't think that's really what's supposed to happen in the Christian life. Like the Christian life is better than the rest of the world around you. The Christian life is so good that practice is enjoyable and just as enjoyable as game time. Because game time comes in eternity. What you do now is you devote yourself, you're practicing forever to go and worship God for all time, to be with Christians for all time. Like if you don't like Jesus and his people, you're not gonna like heaven. Like that's all that's there, Jesus and his people. But if you love that and you learn to love those things, then you're gonna really look forward to heaven. And I look forward to that. We look at a devoted life and it's like, oh, being told just to read my Bible more again. But I wanna try to break through that and say, no, 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 it's awesome. God loves you. You're learning new things. And sometimes it doesn't always feel great, but it is so good. And that's the reality that we all meet. And that's why passages like this could be hard is because I'm not always happy. I'm a Christian, but not every day am I super pumped up to be alive. The Lego song is not right. Not everything is awesome. I don't always want to pray, read my Bible, go to church. I'm not always pumped up about that. But I read a passage like this and I see like, man, they're converted. Like that's what happens. And I believe that same gospel. Why am I not happy? Why am I not happy to praise God, have favor with all people? So I wanna give you four diagnostic questions this morning. They'll be on the screen slowly. So you might wanna write them down. They can't all fit on one slide. Are you devoted to the things of God? Prayer, Bible study, and regular gathering with Christians. That sounds like a huge platitude. Not happy? Read your Bible and pray, go to church. And I think if we leave it at that, it is a platitude. If we leave it at that, it is, it's like rub some dirt in it. It's, it's not helpful. But if we understand what those three things mean, we understand that it's a lot deeper than just, just that, that. Are you struggling? You're not happy? Are you praying? Not as like a genie in a bottle, but are you praying like, do you realize you get to talk to the living God in the universe and he loves you and he cares for you and he's promised to meet with you? Are you bearing out your soul to him? Go to Psalm 42, read it and pray that to God. Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul. Cry out to the Lord. I'm not telling you just to like rub a Bible verse on your problems when I talk about being devoted to the apostles' teaching or to Bible study. What I'm saying is it it's actually holds wisdom and treasure and it's beautiful to behold. Are you devoted to the things of God, of reading and wrestling with the scriptures? Will you ask somebody else? Are you regularly gathering with Christians? Do they know you and do they love you? Question two is, when's the last time you gave serious thought to serving someone else and acted on it? I think sometimes one of the hardest things for any of us when we find ourselves unhappy is to think of somebody else. That's a hard thing for me. When I'm unhappy, I usually think about all the people in my life who should be thinking more about me. 
But we see in this passage is these people are living this kind of happily ever after ending to Acts chapter two, and their thought is, how can I sell my stuff to give to somebody else? When's the last time you gave serious thought to serving someone else and acted on it? Number three, do other people know of your struggles and are you receiving specific pieces of wisdom for your particular situation? Now, I know you might be thinking, where in the world is he getting that from the passage? Day by day, they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. I think they're distributing these needs and they know about these needs because they know each other. They're spending time with each other. They're devoted to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Do people know you and really know you? Do they know your struggles? Now, I do want to give a word of caution. I'm not saying that that means everyone should know everything about your particular struggle in life, but someone should know something. Absolutely. No one is to walk by yourself. And that's what I'm saying. Are you receiving specific pieces of wisdom for your particular situation? If you find yourself, you're just unhappy. As a Christian, don't be satisfied with that. Grab a pastor, a friend, a community group leader, and just have it out. Somebody needs to know what you're struggling with. They need to help you, to pray for you, to care for you, to help point you in, in, in godly directions. The last thing is this, is do you have godly expectations of this world? Here's why I say that. I think we can read this passage and we read Acts chapter two. And a lot of times we read this passage and I even kind of started with this, like how can we have a church like this? And like all the stuff we've talked about this morning just becomes a means to an end. Like I wanna have this good thing, so I'm gonna go through the devoted things and that's gonna help me have the good thing. But here's the thing about the book of Acts. It's 26 more chapters. This is not the end. He summarizes what's happening after this amazing moment and manifestation of the spirit of God. But it's not long and they're getting hit with sticks really hard, beaten with rods. And they're scared. And they go and pray. And they ask for God's help. It's not long in the book of Acts that they're gonna end up in prison it's not gonna be long and people are gonna start scattering. The things that we're gonna read about in Paul, we get later, Timothy, he tells us later that his first public defense, how many people showed up to sit on his side? Zero. Lifetime of faithfulness, preaching the gospel, has to go and defend himself and zero people show up to support him. He's all on his own. Here's what I'm trying to say. The world is hard. And if your expectation is that everything is gonna just be awesome all the time, or like, I can only be happy if my job is really, really good, so I gotta keep doing this until I get a really, really good job, then I'm gonna be happy. You're, that's not a godly expectation of this world. Every job has a part of it that just stinks. It's thorns and thistles, it's the curse. No escaping it until Jesus comes back. There is no perfect job out there. The Facebook ad that's like, work four hours a week and go on vacation for a living. <laughs> Lie. Total, it's a scam. There's a reason why they're making lots of money. Because we all want that, but it's not true. 
Life is just hard. It doesn't exist. There are no kids that obey every time. All the way, right away, in a cheerful way. Great mnemonic to tell your children. No child has ever done it. Ever. It's an okay thing to use. We use it with our kids. It, it, it doesn't happen. Not saying give up. <laughs> do what you want. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is we have to have godly expectations. We have to have an understanding that there's 26 chapters left in this book. The life's hard. That all of it's hard. But that God loves you and you can be happy even in the midst of your suffering. So when I'm talking about being happy, I don't mean that means life situations are all good and grand all the time. What I'm saying is you learn how to be content in every situation. You learn that material goods are just not where it's gonna be found, that that will never make you happy. You'll buy a house and you'll be like me, you'll be ripping up bathroom floor one day. It's not fun, but it happens. And that's the reality of this world. But the question is, is will you be happy in Jesus? It's something I'm wrestling with right now and God is changing in my heart. And an older retired pastor come into my life. We're gonna start meeting together and he's asking me, what do you need? And I just said, I just wanna be holy and happy in Jesus. And that's pretty ordinary. And I know that's not a very extraordinary kind of thing to want, but I'm finding that that's what I want from life. I wanna be holy and happy in Jesus. First Peter, we're told, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What an interesting thing to say. Like you're surprised by trial? As if that's strange and weird? Like don't, don't be surprised by that. It's not strange and it's not weird. Whatever trial you're getting through right now, I have bad news for you. There's another one around the corner. until one day Jesus burst through the sky and every tear will be removed from our eyes and we will be with him forever. But until that time, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer about the situation or a negative Norman. What I'm trying to say is you can be happy even though that's true, but not if you try to live the Instagram life where everything's great, you're always in shape. No one ever gets sick, whatever it is. Can we be continuously devoted? Can we be people who are devoted with glad and generous hearts? Because while a converted life is a devoted life, that's really just another way of saying a Christian is a Christ follower. A Christian is somebody whose life is radically changed by the good news that God sent his one and only son to die for our sins and whoever believes in him can have eternal life. And if you believe that and you know that, you realize you've won. No matter what happens, we can be holy and happy in Jesus. Because those who follow him look like him. Jesus loved God and was devoted to the things of God. Jesus loved people and he was devoted to the people of God. Jesus was happy 
even when he went to the cross, Hebrews tells us that he went to the cross, why? For the joy that was set before him. He endured suffering we can't imagine with joy set before him because he knew that through it, God was going to bring many sons and daughters to glory. You can be happy even when life isn't going well. May we be like him in those things. May we be a devoted people because Jesus has changed us. Let me pray. God, we love you and we thank you for all the good things that you give us. Lord, I thank you for, for how you continually to change my life and how you have worked to make us happy and holy in Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just continue to help us grow spiritually as a church, help us grow in these truths that we've looked at, what it looks like to, to long for the Bible, to long for each other, long for prayer. Lord, I pray that you would help us commune and care for one another. Lord Jesus, you are good and you are kind. Father, I pray as we just finish the service worshiping you, Father, may you just show yourself in a tangible way and, and help us and encourage us throughout this week. God, we love you and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.